All right, welcome back to uh, JD Sacrilege. You got your hosts, Mark Davis and JD Davis here. Um, we missed the last few weeks due to unforeseen circumstances, but we are glad to be back in the saddle. Uh, Mark, how you been? Great. Yeah. Never better. That's good to hear. So uh, today we are going to focus on the uh, correlation between Old Testament nation Israel and modern church and where it seems like there's a pattern where things went wrong. And we're just going to kind of hone in on those and see if we can make some connections. Um, so what we were, oh, thanks for the thumbs up, dad. Dad's doing some encouragement over here. <laughs> uh, so what we've been talking about was we noticed that when Israel was started, once they left Egypt, God tells Moses that he is going to set up a nation that's unlike any other nation surrounding them. That it's going to be different. He's going to lead it. And that through his actions and power through the nation of Israel, others are going to have no other choice but to look and say, okay, what's going on there? How are they successful? How are they powerful? They don't seem to have anything going for them except that God they call Yahweh that's running things. And that was going to get the attention of them. And they were also going to be used to judge the nations and everything else. Um, but that was kind of the ultimate goal of it. And... Now, you know more history than I do with it, so please feel free to jump in. But um, Exodus 19 talks about he wants a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. And then he goes on to say in Exodus 34, Behold, I am making a covenant before all your people. I will do marvels such as not been, uh, such have not been created in the earth or in any nation. And all the people among you, among whom you shall see the work of the Lord, for it is an awesome thing that I will do in, with you. And so... At this point, they were leaving and heading to the promised land, and we know that things kind of went sideways on it. But we get into Samuel, and this is jumping ahead quite a bit in the timeline. We get to Samuel, and um, Dad, you want to take over on what happens in Samuel? Well, um, yes. Well, the, if you think back when Moses went up on the mount to receive the law, and meet with God, the people were pretty terrified and didn't really want to get involved. Just basically, you tell us what we need to do and we'll do it. So there's already a little bit of a precedent set for um, delegating authority to someone else for a personal relationship with God. So, you know, you already kind of have that as a backdrop and then as they got into the promised land and began to, first of all, not subdue all the nations they were supposed to, they're supposed to wipe them all out, destroy all the idols, because God warned them, it's gonna drag you down. You don't marry amongst them. You know, we're starting a new thing and you will get turned astray. And um, of course, they had judges that would travel around and God would uh, work through their judges but they begin to desire a king because why? Everybody else has got a king. We want a king because everybody else does. Mm -hmm. yeah. And then that's First Samuel 8. Um, they're having this big town hall meeting and they go up to Samuel and they say, now appoint for us a king to judge us like all the nations. So they're done with this whole thing of just being led by God and his prophets and they're ready for a king so they can fit in and join the country club like everybody else. And Samuel goes back and he's crushed and he's talking to God. And God said, hey, they're not rejecting you. 
They're rejecting me. Here's a list of things that's going to happen if they do this. And he lists a whole bunch of stuff. And so Samuel goes back and tells the people, hey, this is what God says. This is what's going to happen if you have a king. He's going to you know, do this whole list of things and you'll be just like the other nations. And they said, there shall be a king to rule over us so we may be like the other nations. They were good with it. And so they go ahead and take the king. And the first one they get is Saul. And Josh, um, Joshua Brown Davis, the brother and son, made a really good point. So they have three kings, major kings in Israel. You have Saul, David, and Solomon. And we know it didn't last very long, but you have the three kings. They basically, the one that looks like a king in Saul, the one that's a man after God's own heart in David, and the wisest man in Solomon. And when you step outside of the guidelines that he had for a nation or for his church, uh, things don't go well. And you had, in the last two, a man that loved God immensely and one that was as wise as it gets, and they couldn't keep it together. And so they get carried away after a whole bunch of breakups after the third king. And so God, do you know how long it was after when Isaiah, and he started doing the prophecies again with Isaiah and everything after they were gone? Um, no. <laughs> <laughs> Me neither. It yeah. was a quite Well, you time. know, the three kings, um, there were 40 years of peace, basically. So you have 120 years of United Kingdom, I guess. Mm -hmm. Although, many problems. And then the, the, the kingdom split after that. They couldn't even get along to the point of staying under one king. So they divided at that point. And then it was just up and down, good kings, bad kings, and a big mess. Um, no, so I don't know exactly when Isaiah hit the scene with, uh, I guess, Ahab. And, mm -hmm. you know, so that's that's on down the road a little bit. Um, go ahead, I'll see if I can. Okay, well, it's not it a big deal. It's um, The interesting thing we found was that when he's talking with Ezekiel, he basically puts on blast all of the shepherds that led Israel up to this point, all the ones that were the spiritual leaders of Israel. And he says in Ezekiel 34, 9, that he's against the shepherds. He says, I am against the shepherds. And he said, later on in that chapter, he said, For this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. So he's basically putting in and saying, hey, there's a new plan on the way. This old plan, they chose a different path of it, and now we're going to have to try it again, but I'm going to do it differently. This time, there's going to be one shepherd. And we see that in John, and we also see it, um, and he talks about it in Hebrews too. But So here comes Jesus on the scene now, and we are gonna, he's going to do away with the old covenant, and we're going to do this new covenant where he's going to be the shepherd of it. And... Obviously, that does not excite a lot of the people that were in charge of Israel at the time. And the big one that we see is Matthew 23. And I swear you could probably, you might pull up Matthew 23. Sure. You could read this today and it would sound like someone just wrote it. And you can start at like verse 5. All right, hang on a second. But Jesus is talking to a group, and he basically is putting the Pharisees on blast. So this is Matthew 23, 5. That's it. But all their works they do for to be seen of men. 
They make broad their phylacteries and enlarge the borders of their garments and love the uppermost rooms at feasts and the chief seats in the synagogues and greetings in the markets and to be called of men, Rabbi, Rabbi. But be, be ye not called Rabbi, for one is your master, even Christ, and all ye are brethren. And call no man your father upon the earth, for one is your father, which is in heaven. Neither be ye called masters, for one is your master, even Christ. But he that is greatest among you shall be your servant, and whosoever shall exalt himself shall be abased, and he that shall humble himself shall be exalted. So I thought that was pretty interesting because, you know, especially modern day, everyone gets their titles in the, you know, quote unquote church. Everyone has the titles. Even if you go to the Catholic church, they go ahead and use father, even though that was directly, you know, said in there. But we don't really use rabbi, but we do use teacher. And we use, um, we see them, you know, with starting the verse where it needs to be seen. If you've ever been to church service. After a mission trip or after a day where you go help the needy, you have your slideshow, you have everything else. Everything is a production. Everything is done to be seen. It's done to promote what's going on. It's done to promote the organization. So we still are getting that done. And then everyone has their titles, like we said. So you basically ignored all this that Jesus is saying. And at this time, he was, it was still Old Covenant. So they were still technically had these right in place. They had teachers and everything for Israel. Yeah, well, yeah, he, yeah, Jesus was uh, operating under the old covenant for certain until he established the new one. Right, but it feels like in this that he's talking directly to the disciples about, hey, when you're going from this point forward with stuff, you're not going to have these titles. Y'all are all equal with this. Y'all are all yeah, brothers. They're, they're all brothers. We're all brothers. We're all on the same page with this. They're going to serve each other. We're not going to have these lofty titles because he says, you know, in what was it John ten. That he's going to be the one shepherd, and he's going to say, I have a new commandment I give you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You are also to love one another. But this all will people know that you are my disciples if you have love for another. And that was actually, I'm sorry, John 13. John 10 is that I have other sheep that are not in this fold. I must bring them also, for they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock and one shepherd. And so with that one flock and one shepherd, he's saying, I'm going to create a new movement. I'm going to create something that's different than the other religions surrounding you, that's different than the religions of the past. And the main way that they're going to know that this is my movement is the way that you love one another mm -hmm. and the way that you treat one another. And so it seems like it's a pretty simple setup. He already said he's going to build his church. He said he's going to do all this. We have one responsibility, and that's loving one another. And he's going to kind of take care of the rest. But just like Israel in Old Testament times wanted to go straight back to that kind of, I want to be like the other nations. I want a king. We want a structure. We want someone to lead this. We see that the New Testament church pretty much does that exact thing. One other parallel, and we talked about this some time ago, about when God established the tabernacle, it was designed to be mobile. Mm. And he would lead them by his, by the fire by night, the cloud by day. So it was going to be a moment by moment walk with God. And of course, they had the sacrifice system leading up, pointing to Christ. But you know that was what he established. And of course, 
the pagans around them had temples. They had very ornate temples, Temple Saturn and Temple. So when they got to Israel, you know, David himself wanted to build a temple. And God allowed it, but he, it wasn't his idea. Um, he, he had a tabernacle. And, and it wasn't very pretty to look at. It was covered with badger skins. I mean, mm -hmm. if you were to, you know, it wasn't, it, it, the beauty was on the inside. Um, but from the outside, it was kind of drab looking um, right. with animal skins and whatnot. You go inside, there's where the gold and the, um, the beauty is. So, you know, I think similar to what you're saying, even in the New Testament, God was offering a new, new covenant. Jesus, through his sacrifice, which was to be a spirit-led walk, hmm. individual. And he would lead us day by day, just like the cloud and the fire. I mean, it was a day-by-day a -day walk. But no, we look around and we see the buildings and the mm -hmm. big steeples and the big whatever. And no, we want, we want one of those. Mm -hmm. So we tend to go back to just like they did in the old covenant. We want to build a big temple. We want it to be awesome. And so and there's another parallel there. And I can't remember who I heard this from, but it was something about once they did establish the temple in the Old Testament, that it almost led to people thinking God just existed there and they were able to put him in that box. He's just there. Mm -hmm. We go out and do our stuff and we come to God there. And it's not the, the mobile tabernacle that they had. And so, you know, you hear those phrases all the time. You should go to church. You know, we have to go to God's house. We have to go to this. And it's like, that's where God is. And then we have our lives separate. And I mean, just look at Jesus' ministry in itself. He never stayed in one place for too long. You know, he was always mobile because he didn't have a place where he just was going to be where people had to come to him to do this. He was going to be out and about. He didn't have a place to lay his head, he said one right. time. You know, he was always on the move. and um, Exactly. Yeah. And so then one of the things I know we've talked about this extensively, but when they had the council of Jerusalem, one thing I can't really figure out is, uh, well, I mean, I kind of figured out, but why they had a combination of the new disciples and New Testament Christians and the Pharisees in it. You know, I, let me find where that one was. Mm -hmm. It says, in verse, this is Acts 15, verse 5, but some believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees rose up and said, it is necessary to circumcise them and to order them to keep the law of Moses. So this was where there's some surrounding gatherings that were trying to figure out what they were supposed to be doing to be good Christians, be good followers of Christ. And they're getting together in Jerusalem to start laying down some list of things for people to do. And you had in this leadership, in this elders meeting that we've seen a thousand times, or in this deacon meeting, you had a group of Pharisees, the same ones that were trying to crucify Christ all the way to the point. You had those in church leadership. And they stand up right away, and they can't get rid of the old covenant. That's what they want to, hey, we got to tell them they got to cut off the dicks or they're not in. And it's, it just blows my mind that they, sorry, they blows my mind that they are in the church leadership, the new church leadership. Well, I think there was always a concern of trying to pacify mm -hmm. the, the, Jew, the Jewish Christians, or at least the Jewish ones that were looking on. Um, and I don't know if it was not to offend them or to, you know, win them over by saying, look, we're kind of, we're not doing all the bad stuff that's in mm -hmm. the law. You know, we're not, you know, we're not drinking blood. Mm -hmm. We're not doing all these things. 
But anytime you mix legalism with freedom, it's no longer freedom. And, and um, so even that council, they just came up, okay, just stay away from things strangled, from fornication and blood or whatever it was, and, mm-hmm. and, and we'll, call it, we'll call that good. Yeah. When, you know, I mean, there really wasn't any reason to do anything other than to walk in the Spirit mm-hmm. in this new covenant, and everything else takes care of itself. So you don't even have to mix it at all. Right. With, um, with any legalism. Right. But um, and the thing is, I don't think any of those are bad things that they were telling them. But I think it's, if this is a whole thing that's built on relationship, then the people that are helping them get started and that are helping, you know, show them how to listen to the Spirit, they can show them those things and help them find that way without giving them this list now that they can nail up on the wall and say, all right, we just got to do these and we're good. And, you know, that kind of goes back a little bit to the... Moses on the Mount, it's mm-hmm. like, just tell us. Okay, you yep. just tell us what to do. All yep. right, we're good with that. Um, and, it, you know, relationships take effort. They take time. Mm-hmm. you got to invest in it. To have a relationship with someone, that you got to invest some time in it. And sometimes I think we look for just tell me, you know, mm-hmm. just tell me how to stay out of hell. And, yes. I, you know, okay, I'll be good with that. Um, I remember one time I was talking to a guy. And he basically said, all right, what, what do I need to do? Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, I, 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 you think about saying, we'll say this prayer after me sure. or sinner. And, and I just absolutely, I said, you know, that's, that's really between you. You seek him. Mm-hmm. I don't want to tell you what to do. I want you to do what he shows you to do. If you mm-hmm. seek him, I mm-hmm. guarantee you, mm-hmm. you'll find him. Mm-hmm. And he desires this and made this possible for you. So you just get honest before him. There's right. no, there's no formula. There's no incantation. It's, it's between you and him, mm-hmm. and to have a personal relationship. Mm-hmm. And I kind of surprised myself because I really, you know, yeah, kind of prepared. To, okay, sound like you're about to sell yeah. it all. So I kind of, yeah, I kind of just surprised myself. And I, <laughs> actually, I never, never flew with him. I never know what happened again. <laughs> we'll have to follow up and see how yeah, he's doing. I just, yeah, I never knew. <laughs> Probably really blew it. Never got another <laughs> opportunity, but anyway. Yeah, no. And I think also with these lists, you know, we see somewhat lists with Paul writing these letters, but Paul had a relationship with everybody he was writing to. He had already built a relationship with these people. Mm-hmm. And so when you have a relationship, you have a trust, when you say things, they already know what a place you're coming from. It's not this list of where they mess up and they disappoint someone and they have mm-hmm. the guilt and shame of disappointing a you know spiritual authority you know this is just purely to help them in their walk this is you know i think this would be best for your situation you need to do xyz look for this person this person seems like they have some good ideas blah blah but we need in the organizational churches now they need the blueprint to be able to run something mm-hmm. and so they take these letters from paul that were i mean i think letters friends to friend just helping along in the journey at different points of time different things going on different circumstances we pick the ones that work that can best run an organization and you plug them in and that's not saying that those were bad plays or bad plans but when you use them in the way they're not supposed to be used you then give yourself authority over everyone and everyone has to submit to this or you know, we can use church authority and, you know, discipline. And we can do this and do this because it says it in the Bible. And it says that there. Mm-hmm. And I think the real spiritual authority is just with Jesus. He's the head of the 
movement. He said he's going to build this. This is his. And we circumvent that by going ahead and putting ourselves in that position to lead it. And then using scripture and using letters from Paul to churches that were his friends to say, yep, this is why I can tell you to do something. And Paul did have a lot of friends. He'd usually take a chapter or two just to tell everybody. He named a lot of them when he'd be signing off. And it's like, gosh, he knew a lot of friends. He yep. had a lot of friends. And, and he had invested yes. his life into these people. Yes. And um, so um, it, was a, it was a personal thing with him. Yes. Um, it wasn't a, um, a cold thing. And, and, mm-hmm. and, and it's like, you know, somebody who he had earned their trust. Yes. I mean, he had paid a lot of price along the way mm-hmm. to reach them and to and to love on them, and and so they they had a, a trust in him. Um, and he also didn't take anything from them. No, you know, he made a point of not doing that. Yeah, because he didn't want them to think that what he was doing was for any other reason than that he wanted to see them have a relationship mm-hmm. with Jesus. That was it. That was his only motivation for it. And he talks about that a lot. He likes to bring that up quite yeah. a bit. And it's just making this point that, hey, what I'm saying has no strings attached with this. This is just what I think is best for you. And, you know, in that Council of Jerusalem, going back to the Acts one, is he gets up with Peter and says, this is crazy. Y'all can't, you know, this is not what we have been out there doing. This is not what Jesus came for, you know. Mm -hmm. And that's when they had that compromise of, okay, we'll just do this list for him. And it just seems like we just have missed the boat with this. And we've taken things that were... Letters to friends, turned them into blueprints for organizations, and put a structure, our tabernacle and our temples, and our rabbis, our fathers, and our teachers, and circumvented the whole plan of our responsibility of just loving each other so that others would see that this is a different than every other religion that we have grabbed from and plugged in to Christianity. And, and you know, a lot of, that's what a lot of people want because yeah. they don't want to invest in the relationship. They just mm-hmm. want to, am I in the right place? Am I good? Am right. I good if I come here mm-hmm. and do, you know, what I need to do kind of thing. So they're, yep. they're more than willing to, um, to, to buy into that system because sometimes it's a little scary maybe just to branch out and feel like, you know, I'm, I don't have any, I don't have a safety net. Mm-hmm. I don't have anything to fall back on. I'm just kind of figuring this out on my own. But we really do trade the most incredible offer and opportunity for something that's way worse. And he offers himself, you know, when we, we tend to run to, to a, a structure. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, he, he's, we have this opportunity to walk day by day with the creator of the universe and yet he's broken it down to the most personal, intimate thing. You know, I talk about when I used to do weddings about, you know, <laughs> God revealed himself through our relationships, mm-hmm. you know, as, as a father and a son. And things we understand, you know, we've all children and many of us are parents. And, you know, it's just like I, I was talking to a guy who was, he's he's probably 40 in his 40s. He just got married and they were expecting their baby. <laughs> And I said, you know, there's a side of you you, didn't, you don't know exists. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, so he's given these relationships and husbands and wives and friends because he wants it to be that personal, that intimate. Mm-hmm. And um, 
we shouldn't trade that for anything. Right. Yeah. And I think one of the other reasons people run from the relationship side is building a relationship and keeping relationships is not easy. Religion, like they lay it out for you in today's church, is pretty simple. You know, you go for an hour on Sunday morning, you give some money, and maybe you do serve in, you know, the children's ministry or Awana on Wednesday nights, and you are in great standing. And you do it long enough, they'll even give you a title, and you keep doing those. But the hard part is learning to not only how to listen to the Holy Spirit, but to have a good enough relationship to know when the Spirit's telling you to do something and do it. And I mean, I think, at least for me, I've learned a lot with having kids and then looking back and seeing how our relationship's been in the past and how things were handled and how you look at things very differently. Um, And I think my relationship has changed in that it's much more like David writing Psalms where it's a lot of questioning, a lot of anger with stuff, and then ending it with, you know, I know I know what you have been in the past. I know what you're going to do in the future, but I still don't understand X, Y, Z. And I think that that is a tough thing to do in a church because questioning anything, you know, is like pulling a, the string on the sweater. It can unravel things. And they don't want you questioning stuff. They don't want you mm-hmm. doing it. But as you get to know, you know, the Creator and Jesus better, you start seeing things and say, that doesn't seem like him. You know, this, like, I, someone I know, this doesn't seem like him. Mm-hmm. And ask, you know, why is this a thing? Why are we, you know, tithing? Or why are we saying that this person's going to hell? Or why are we doing this? And in a structure and organization, that is going to get stomped on quickly. Mm-hmm. And I know, you know, you've experienced that. Well, you know, to, to, to manage people and direct them in the way you want them to go, the tools of guilt, mm-hmm. Uh, fear are very powerful. Mm-hmm. Um, being included or excluded, those are powerful tools. Mm-hmm. So um, we tend to drift into those areas to keep people giving, coming, and doing, mm-hmm. signing up for the nursery duty mm-hmm. um, instead of uh, the freedom in Christ and to, to walk with Him. Um, independently and to, and to go to him directly mm-hmm. no intermediaries right so that's scary if you're an organization what if they lead them to do something else and it's not going to be funneled through here right or they don't show up here he's got them off doing something else mm-hmm. and um so um it's a those tools are very powerful and you know we talked last time you said our last one was two and a half years ago <laughs> talking about the whole hell eternal torment kind uh-huh. of thing and that's something you couldn't question, or you're a heretic. You you were right. you know you're infidel or whatever. Yeah. And yet it didn't sound like my father. Mm-hmm. You know it just bugged me for years and years. Mm-hmm. And every time I'd read through the scriptures and the, the great white throne and the you know death is thrown in the lake of fire. I mean it's very confusing if if somehow everybody's immortal and going to live forever. Mm-hmm. And the idea of eternal torment is just a scary thought of that's the penalty for sin for a little mortal sinner who mm-hmm. lives a few years and then he for eternity will be tormented with no way out mm-hmm. no way to repent no way to back up no way to say okay I'm I got it wrong obviously mm-hmm. um, I want I want I want out 
So it just, you know, those kind of things, you're in, in a structure that, mm-hmm. that depends on fear and guilt. And, you know, that's, you don't want to give that up. Right. And um, you find out when you really get into the scriptures, that's not what's going on at all. No. And at those things, when I remember you brought that up to me when I was, I guess, early 20s. And I would talk to people in the church we were going to at the time about that because it's just deep down I knew that you were onto something, but it just if I accepted that, it meant that everything that I had built on that was going to have to be reestablished and refigured out. And it's just kind of a scary thing. But you would talk to him, and it was always like, oh, so he's going through that right now. Oh yeah, he just doesn't have the faith. You know, you have to understand that it's, you know, it's that whole thing, and they're just like, yep. And so you can just brush it aside. And what I've learned is when people don't have an agenda or something to protect or something to build, when I come to you now with one of my batshit crazy ideas, uh, even I'm sure you've thought plenty of times that they are, you don't just have to protect or shut down something to you know keep something going. You always just be like, okay, well, let's look at this and this, and here's an idea maybe to check out. And it's because you're not going to rob me of that journey. And that's how you build relationship. You know, you can go check it out. Go pray about this. Go ask. I mean, it's, he just says ask. I mean, I know with my kids, I would be so sad if I thought that they didn't want to come ask me something because mm-hmm. that they were, they didn't have enough faith and they just couldn't come ask me something, you know, or that it would offend me if they asked me something mm-hmm. or that I could, you know, hurt their feelings or they could hurt my feelings See, that's that you're seeing through a father's heart. Right. And and that's why he gives us these relationships. Mm-hmm. It helps us get a glimpse of him. Mm-hmm. And even though, I mean, Jesus had to say, look, in comparison, you love your children and everything, but comparison to him. Right. You're a long way from right. him. And But yet we have a glimpse of that. We mm-hmm. have a glimpse of what that's like and, and that, that sacrificial love and that, you know, and of course, you, you want to be the one to give the answers to your children. Yeah. You don't want them to be afraid to come to you with right. questions, regardless of what they are. Right. And there shouldn't be anything we would not come to God and mm-hmm. lay before Him and say, you know, can you help me with this? I know yeah. this isn't lining up. I can't. I'm, I don't understand this. And you know, sometimes He may not reveal right. it. Right. And, but but it shouldn't make us fear to ask. Mm-hmm. And yeah. you know the the the. The veil was was torn, top to bottom. Boldly entered the throne of grace. I mean, you know, mm-hmm. the in, the invitation's there, right? And you know, we just have to have that kind of confidence in our relationship that you know, I'm just going to go ask my father. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you yeah. know, I don't understand this, right? I just I'm just going to lay it before him and see if maybe mm-hmm. he'll reveal it to me. Yeah. And I would think that the furthest thing that you would think is blasphemy or sacrilegious is being like, hey, this is what I'm being told is your character and who you are. Mm -hmm. And I don't think so. And can you show me? I mean, it's just that kind of thing. Like Mm -hmm. your kid comes and says that to you. How in the world would you be mad at that? Right. You're not going to be upset about that because I don't want them thinking something that's not true. Right. I don't want them having any question of it. And it's just, it's a, it's a simple relationship. And then, Mm -hmm. and we have turned it into just an absolute massive organization. And it's pretty pretty much a bummer. But well, you got anything else? Um No. Do we get all the do we hit all the highlights? I think let so. me check my notes. Oh yeah, I don't have any. Mark has zero <laughs> notes. So uh that was all from his 
messed no up the paint as well. So yeah, that's that'll do it, and uh, we'll see you back here either a week or maybe two and a half years. So uh, we'll have to see somewhere in that range. Yep. Stay questioning.